Welcome to Motley Fool Money. I'm Chris Hill, and I'm joined by Motley Fool senior analyst Seth Jason, James Early, and Shannon Zimmerman. Guys, happy Friday. Happy, happy Friday, 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 Chris. On today's show, Dr. Doom warns that we haven't hit the bottom. Dell and Google take on the iPhone, and McDonald's gets artistic. Or as my friends in Boston say, artistic. But we begin with better-than-expected retail numbers for September. Retailers announced the first increase of same-store sales since August of 2008. Seth, this got to be good news. Well, I don't know. <laughs> Come on, first Something increase in over a year? If you read past the headlines, most of the stories do mention uh, that I've seen on this, that that there was a Labor Day holiday shift, so some places were moved back to school, school dates a little bit later, and so they took some business from August and moved it into September. Some of the retailers I follow over at Hidden Gems, like Zoomies, was, was a beneficiary of that. So I would take this... Uh, with a grain of salt. There was also some conflicting news. So I would say the data are inconclusive. Consumer credit continued to contract. So we're being urged to believe that somehow people are spending more at the same time that they're spending, well, they're borrowing less to spend. But as we know, most of that spending boom over the past half decade was debt-based. So I don't think we're out of the woods. And second point, let's see where the margins are, too. I mean, these are just sales. We don't know exactly how profitable they were yet. I mean, And they were the low-end stores to The low-end stores, degree. yeah, TJ Maxx and, and Kohl's. I had to teach someone how to drive stick shift once, and we thought, where can we find nobody? So we went to the Kohl's parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> I, shop at Kmart. I shop at Kmart for that reason. I had to check out as fast because there's nobody there. Yeah, well, you know, with all this doom and gloom, I'm, I want to be reflexively contrarian and say something positive, but I can't. I mean, the news is uh, it, uh, up from what, though? From uh, catastrophically low uh, levels, manipulating the calendar, and uh, how profitable were they? Uh, who knows? Hey, it could be worse. Let's be, let's be positive. It could have been worse. Well, it was an actual <laughs> increase. I mean, we, you know, up, I feel better already. Up zero point six percent. The forecast was was being down one point one percent. So, I mean, well, that's a lot better than that. So, all right, let's let's do a golf clap, everybody. <laughs> all right, let's move on. Shannon did not golf clap. No, uh, no, no. Economist Noriel Rubini said this week the housing market may still fall another ten percent. Rubini, who was one of the few to actually predict the financial crisis, said that losses in the commercial real estate market will make matters worse. James, do you agree with uh, Dr. Uh, Doom? When I hear 10%, I think that's it. I mean, <laughs> this guy's been Dr. Doom, but he, he actually wants to change his nickname to, was it Dr. Realist? Dr. Realist. Yeah, I mean, so he's, he's back with, the, with a realistic uh, uh, forecast. Now, 10% is just is sort of uh, uh, forgettable, I think. But a he lot is of people right. would be happy with that. Yeah, I, I don't think it's a problem, really. He is right about uh, commercial real estate. That is, a, that is an issue, and a lot of those loans are not marked to market, so we don't know what the true exposure there is. Yeah, that that, that uh, part of the, the banking uh, collapse or the, the, the banking woes, and that story is not uh, completely un- unfolded yet, and so uh, the banks that are going to be more heavily hit when that does uh, begin to unfold are the regional banks that have m- much more exposure to commercial real estate projects in their in their areas than the than the big boys do. I don't see how that ties in directly to to housing prices. However, I mean there could be you know, af- economic aftershocks that could did, could do things, but I they're really let's probably state for the record here, or, or you guys can disagree. They're really not that tightly connected. Commercial real estate is going to do uh, very worse by some measures, but you know these are businesses, so presumably they can handle it better than people. But but residential real estate would be the, the the prelude uh, to this to this story, yeah, and and it's I mean they're again they're not directly linked they're they're kind of linked through a spider web but the the moral of the story is everyone borrowed too much for everything right and I, I would I would differ a little bit with James because the ten percent is not a big number coming from Doctor Doom but it is a big number on top of the losses that we've 
already suffered. We have had have, have big losses, but but I will say, uh, this is a quote from Scott Adams, of, uh, creator of Dilbert, I'm suspicious of anyone who has a strong opinion on a complicated issue. <laughs> I'm <Okay>. talking about <laughs> Dr. Dean, not you, Shannon. But. All right, exit question. <laughs> I got strong opinions on everything. Exit question. What's That's a better nickname, Dr. Doom or Dr. Realist? Well, I, I think Doctor. I'll stick with Doctor Doom. I mean, he he was uh, you know the the prophet in the wilderness screaming that things uh, the sky is falling and the sky fell. So he was right. If things have uh, you know moderated somewhat since then, then his uh, doom looks a bit more realist. But I think that you know given his history, he's Doctor Doom to me. He can only be Doctor Realist because he was Doctor Doom in the first place. You can't just start out as Doctor Realist and make a name for yourself. I think it's Doctor Playa because if you do some internet <laughs> Playa, searching not, on, not with on, our... on this guy, he's at these parties and there's always these hot. He's posing with him. Oh, really well, in that, yeah. that case, I'm going to call him Dr. Love. Yeah, Dr. Love. And you know what? They're, they're posing with him because he's Dr. Doom. That's, I know. That's, that's yeah. sexy. We need to take our pessimism on the road because yeah. there are benefits. There are fringe benefits <laughs> here that nobody made us aware of. <laughs> Moving on. The Wall Street Journal reported this week that Twitter is talking with Google and with Microsoft about a licensing deal for Twitter's real-time data. The deal would allow Google or Microsoft to integrate real-time Twitter feeds with the search engines. Guys, who does this deal make the most sense for? Uh, Twitter. Uh, we, 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 <laughs> I uh, Twitter. They're, they're flailing Twitter around right looking now. for something they can lash themselves to that might uh, monetize their service. This could possibly be it. We'll, we'll see. But uh, of those players, it's definitely Twitter. What becomes of this, though? I mean, on one level, who really wants to search some guy's Twit is it tw- tweet? Tweet. Tw- In fact, oh, yeah, I tweet. Okay, I just sorry. tweeted. I just um, tweeted while we were doing this. But, but but you know there are hedge funds. I'm not anyone's twit. <laughs> <laughs> we better change the conference. <laughs> but, <laughs> We're getting real close to the edge. Now. Exactly. Wow. Let's take a step. Family back. show here. Watch you know, your vowels. Th- there, there are hedge funds to change the topic. There are hedge funds that that invest based on keywords appearing in in the media that, that might yeah. signal certain shifts and trends and things like that. I mean that I can see. That's kind of a niche search thing though. It's not sort of the everyman. So I, I kind of wonder how big of a deal can they make of this? Well, there are already providers out there that that give you the cutting edge, you know, what's the hot term this 5 minutes or hour on Twitter. How, how useful is that? I guess we may not find out even if even if we find out what how large a pile of money Google or Microsoft throws at Twitter for this data, that might not tell us what it's actually worth. Could be worth a ton, could could be worth not so much. More fun news from Google this week. It was reported that in a deposition given in May, Google CEO Eric Schmidt acknowledged overpaying for YouTube. Schmidt said that he told Google's board that the company was worth six to seven hundred million dollars, and Google paid one point six five billion. He said Google believed that there would be a competing offer, and he also cited <laughs> YouTube's growth relative to Google Video. So are you we go in with your high offer? Are, I, I I don't think any of us are really surprised by this, are we? Or are we? I'm confused because <laughs> he said he's overpaying, but then he said it was worth it. So it's a little bit. I'm, I I, I want to buy a house from this guy because it sounds like his, his negotiation skills are backwards. Uh, I, I believe all of this, and, and I have more on this, which is about, about how I think uh, YouTube is simultaneously the most important but least relevant video outfit on the, on the planet. But as for whether or not they overpaid, we may not ever know because we still don't know if there's a financial model behind it. But what, what I mean about some of this is that a lot of that premium content, the stuff they originally, I believe, hoped they could advertise behind, has moved to Hulu or individual network sites. And uh, a lot of premium uh, 
I guess, grassroots content has moved to sites like Vimeo, which have much higher quality. So what's left at YouTube is, to a large extent, I believe, stuff that people don't want to pay to advertise around, and that might be a problem. So it's no, the Twitter of movies. No, but there's a way in which, too, that you know their job at that stage, whenever uh, YouTube was the hot property and they overpaid for it, and I think they probably did overpay for it, you know, they're like venture capitalists. Their job is to throw yeah. money at things that seem as though they could blow up and be huge. Uh, whether or not they do is another question. Yeah, and they were, I mean, uh, Google Video was going nowhere. Uh, YouTube just collected everybody, and so they they had to make the move, and they made it. YouTube did announce this week it is getting more than one billion views a day. Yeah, that's got to cost some money. Think about how much data they're streaming and how much of that streamed data provides any kind of revenue at all. Wall Street Journal also reporting this week that AT&T will team up with Dell on a smartphone that will be powered by Google's Android mobile software. The Dell phone could come out as early as next year. AT&T already has a deal with Apple's iPhone. Is this a threat to Apple in any way? No, I, I don't think so. It'll probably go the same way as the Dell MP3 player, uh, which no one no one remembers. Dell has an MP3 they, player? They, they did. They backed out of that market, as I, as I understand it. It had a joystick, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I think it did. I think, I think AT&T will be happy to shake off at least a portion of their iPhone customer base anyway. It's clogging up the network. It's going to clog it more when it's they get that VOIP. It's a pretty big deal, though. I mean, the, the contract is expiring, and in my analogy, it's, it's almost like having an iPod and replacing it with a Zoom. I mean, th- this, this <laughs> Dell player is probably going to be so much smaller in scale, I don't see it being much business. I, you're just going to take that, Mr. Zoom? <laughs> it's, it's, it's pretty ill-informed. He, he capitulated so no two point. podcasts ago. There's, he knows it's no, over. There's no point. Cause, well, you ever see, this is exactly the thing. People don't want to give a product a chance because they'd rather attach to, to a stereotype. But anyway, <laughs> without going there, this thing is, if, if you, if, you know, folks, the, thing about, the thing about Android <laughs> phones is that there isn't one Android operating system. We've seen uh, from other providers like HTC and others that they're already kind of reskinning and actually writing applications over it. So Android is not the iPhone platform. It's going to be, it's going to come in a lot of different flavors like Windows Mobile. Windows Mobile flavors don't really keep anybody happy. I don't think Android flavors will. People in their phones really want this kind of easy system and Apple has that wrapped up. With the App Store, they've got a huge moat the game is all Apple at this point. I think they're going to kill Research in Motion's BlackBerry. I think they're going to roll it all up. Yeah, and the, and the numbers definitely support that. That the yeah. growth of the uh, Apple's market share in the smartphone market is just phenomenal. Fifty-two percent uh, is what Research in Motion has, which is down from fifty-six percent last year. And all that growth is going to Apple. And, and to your point, actually, if it helps, I'm not even picking on the Zoom so much as its market share. I mean, it could be a great device, but I think Apple has just won that war. Oh yeah, they won it before Microsoft got into it. Quickly, uh, Amazon announced this week it's lowered prices on the Kindle. So woohoo! Are you buying? Oh wait, not woohoo! <laughs> I got screwed. I paid about four hundred dollars for that piece of. <laughs> <laughs> but you, is it a good thing for Amazon? I think it is because uh, it extends the the reach of the product potentially, and I think more important might be the uh, international version, which costs uh, I think about thirty bucks more than the newly lowered price of the U.S. version, which will run on AT and T's network. Uh, here I believe they run on Sprint, but AT and T is all over the world, and so that's good news for them as well. And if they can keep dropping this down, and they just claim they're getting economies of scale, and that it lets them sell it, and I don't think there's any reason to disbelieve that. But if they can get this thing cheap enough, then they will much more easily fend off competition, not only from the Sony reader or the one that's going to work with Barnes & Noble, but also from any potential Apple product, which even though it might might by some miracle be a good ebook reader, will probably have to cost more than a couple of hundred bucks. And so if they can get these things down to the 150 range, 
I think they have a lot less to worry about long term. Yeah, but they, yeah. so but they are competing on price. Whether or not they're yeah. uh, enjoying economies of scale is one question. But they know these other this new wave of readers is coming, and so they have some serious competition in a way that they did not one year ago. My my wife just ordered one of these uh, international ones, despite my ridicule in the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> now the newer ones, I, I used my parents. They've got the newer version. It's a lot nicer than the older one. But uh, you know, I just just yesterday signed up for the Economist. Used to get the paper edition. Getting it on Kindle now. Financial Times. Never got the paper ed- edition. Don't want to carry her on that much. I'm getting it through Kindle now. I mean, these are these are really addictive devices for people who like to read. Well, I get the Economist on my iTouch, which also functions as a uh, music player, and 45 games that I've downloaded. But I don't want those Coke bottle thick glasses on my nose <laughs> wrecking my face. Uh, well, you know, I thought that I was older than you, Seth, but apparently, apparently not. Well, we had Clay Christensen in the office today. Um, you know, Harvard professor and best-selling author of The Innovator's Dilemma. I mean, an incredibly bright guy. Mm-hmm. And one of the things. He that he said was his next book which is coming out next year is coming out on the Kindle first that he's you know he talked about how for him when he publishes a book the first thing he thinks is oh god I forgot to include X Y and Z and the book is already out there there's nothing you can do about it whereas with the Kindle he can update stuff I mean is that that sounds like something that certainly works in favor for Amazon and the Kindle it could be a really disruptive uh, thing for publishing. I mean, there's there's actually a business model there yeah. that, that that doesn't exist in the paper world and can't exist. Well, it, yeah, editions and, and, and yeah. Uh, T- Tina Brown at the Daily Beast is trying to come up with a business model that will bring books to market much more quickly than they currently are, so they can take advantage of prevailing trends when people are are, are interested in them. The Kindle and that uh, e-reader technology is much more supportive of that than traditional publishing model. Yeah. Mona Lisa, meet Mayor McCheese. News out that next month, McDonald's is opening a restaurant in the Louvre. I mean, is another this round of gobble. What's applause. next? The Vatican? <laughs> one man where else is? Where they else might is already it? have one in the Mayor Vatican. Mayor McCheese? Sure. Oh my God. They don't have him in France. But you they have the Hamburglar. Le Hamburglar, I think. <laughs> you never know. I mean, is this ultimately a, a low-risk thing for McDonald's? I mean, there was there was sort of this initial outrage, like, oh my God, how could they be in, you know, the arguably French the love greatest... McDonald's. They just don't yeah. love loving McDonald's. And as I understand it, not only do, are they allowed to use trans fat, they're required to use trans fat there. So it works out well for everyone. That, yeah, let's say that yeah. for the French. That, that at least <laughs> would be an advantage to living in Paris. You get some fries that taste a little better. Art and McDonald's could be scarier. I actually heard that France is the number two McDonald's market outside of the U.S. Yeah. And let us also point out that down not too far from here uh, at the uh, Smithsonian institutions, there's almost nowhere to eat lunch down there. It's it's really a travesty. The, the museum cafes are, are are really a pain, but you've got the McDonald's in air and space. And, well, and and you know, the McDonald's, awesome. the, the museum cafes are almost are like McDonald's without the McDonald's. It's just hamburgers and fries. But, the yeah, but they're a lot more of a hassle. Yeah, but the, but the real hidden gem, uh, no product placement, but the real hidden gem down there <laughs> is the in the uh, the Museum of the Native American. Unbelievably oh, great yeah. food. Oh, really? It's I caf- uh, that. Cafeteria style, that's where you should head. It's amazing I couldn't st- stuff. I couldn't stand the lack of information. So, <laughs> All right, before we get to stocks on our radar, worth mentioning that uh, earlier today, it was announced that President Obama was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. Uh, on Monday, October 12th, the Nobel Prize for Economics will be announced, and I have taken the liberty of nominating each one of you for the prize. So if we could just go around the horn real quick, wow. just give me one or two sentences on why you deserve the Nobel Prize in Economics. Shannon, I'll start <laughs> well, with you. Well, you know, as honored as I am to be uh, nominated, I think that Obama's going to win that too, so I, I think that's really not going to happen. <laughs> not a chance, yeah. James? You know, the quote I live by is similar to Scott Adams, is you show me a confident economist, 
then I'll show you an idiot. So uh, <laughs> expressing my lack of confidence, I think that's the only thing I can do well. So uh, I'm just going to make a campaign pledge, which is to treat all those blonde Scandinavian women very well when I'm there to accept the award. Okay. The Rubini of Scandinavia. Yeah. Seth's wife, are you listening? <laughs> Steve, you want to jump in? And, and, and if, you're, if you're on the, the Nobel Committee, uh, based on what you've just heard, uh, which, which guy are you giving the award to? Um... Let's see here. Skanky one. Skanky one. <laughs> Those compelling cases. I'm David, going, David Letterman. I'm going uh, James because I found James very entertaining today. Okay. Thank you, James. Thank you, Stephen. I'll give you your five bucks after. <laughs> All right. Good luck, guys. All right. As we head into next week, what's one stock that is on your radar? Shannon, we'll start with you. Well, I received a very thoughtful email from a, a listener about my radar stock last week, which was Moody's, and so I want to revisit that today. You know, sometimes radar stocks are um, quasi-recommendations, but sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're news items, which is the, was the case with Moody's last week. And for me, the, the big ticket news items are Buffett pairing back his position significantly in Moody's over the, the course of the year, a stock price that has popped 13% during the month of October alone on what seems to be very uh, little actual news, and then still in the atmosphere is what is going to happen to the ratings agencies into the future. Now, I'm kind of agnostic on the stock in terms of the investment fundamentals. It is a recommendation of the full stock advisor service, and they certainly know the uh, uh, investment case inside out, so I'll defer to those guys. But I'm as you know uh, anxious as the next reform zealot to see what happens uh, uh, to the agencies, and if something significant does, that's going to have a significant uh, impact on Moody's, and the market right now seems to be pricing in that that's not going to occur. We'll see. James? Hmm, interesting. Um, a stock brought to my attention by uh, analyst here, Joe Magger, is Accenture. It's a consulting company based in Bermuda, which helps it uh, avoid some taxes. It, <laughs> just, <laughs> <laughs> it just likes its dividend 50%. Yield is, is only 1.2, 1.3%. So it's not a big yielder, but that's a big raise in its yield. So it, I like that. Return on equity is above 30%. It could be an emerging dividend pair one of these days. It's got a backlog of orders, too. I think you should take your wife and her brand new Kindle and go to Bermuda and check out the company in person. That's <laughs> just, not a bad idea. Just a recommendation. All right, Seth? Oh, wow. I think I'm just going to have to recommend the same thing I would recommend if you were looking for a bar in the D.C. area, which is to go slumming. <laughs> the Raven. That's <laughs> yeah. where you want to go. I think, I think if you're looking at retailers, since we talked about retail report, you have to go with the news, which is that the, the low-end retailers are doing better. So fix your sights on the specialty low-end, your Aeropost stalls, uh, maybe... Maybe your gap, no, not your gap. But Old keep in Navy. mind, keep it. Oh, if only you could just buy Old Navy mm -hmm. because that was the big mover there. But seriously, look for places that are providing customers with the look they're used to, but with uh, cheaper prices. And I think you'll do better than betting on the high end. Fair enough. Seth Jason, James Hurley, Shannon Zimmerman. Guys, thanks for being here. Good to be with Father you, Chris. Chris. Thanks for listening to this edition of Motley Fool Money. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about. Don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Do your homework and make your own decisions. And remember, the conversation continues 24-7 at fool.com. I'm Chris Hill. We'll see you next time. <laughs>